You're listening to a podcast from Turners Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. So we're going to be continuing our season through Mark this morning. We'll be reading from chapter 10 shortly, but before I turn to it, I wanted to set some context to remind us what has happened leading up to this point. Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem. As we've been reading over the past weeks, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be handed over to the authorities who would condemn him to death and that he would be handed over to the Gentiles who would mock him, flog him and kill him. Jesus also tells them that after three days he would rise again. So in the space of the last three chapters we've been looking at, three times Jesus tells his disciples of his pending death. Each time, their response demonstrates a lack of understanding of what Jesus has been explaining. They've either responded with human concerns or arguments about who is the greatest Last week, Murray spoke about James and John's request, if you remember. They wanted to be sat either side of Jesus in glory. So the disciples, by their behavior and their lack of understanding, demonstrated a spiritual blindness. They just didn't see the truth Jesus was revealing to them. Peter, James and John, I think, seem to be singled out for rebuke here. Maybe because they were the ones privileged to have gone with Jesus at the transfiguration. And yet at this time, they still appear to be spiritually blind. More to come on that later. In fact, these instances of Jesus predicting his death are sandwiched between two accounts of blind men having their sight restored. Back in chapter 8, at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to heal him. Jesus had spit on the blind man's eyes and put his hands on him, and his sight was restored. And in the passage we're about to read, we're told of another blind man, Bartimaeus, who is healed. I don't think it's a coincidence that between these two accounts of blind men being healed, that the spiritual blindness of Jesus' disciples is being highlighted. So Jesus is traveling with his disciples towards Jerusalem. What an amazing journey that must have been. The disciples, we're told, were astonished, perhaps with Jesus' amazing miracles he's doing, whether it was his courage or determination, or just the wisdom he imparted. But we're told also other followers were afraid. I would have thought the disciples were really confused, actually, about what was happening, unsure or worried about what was going to happen to Jesus and to themselves. So Jesus and his disciples are now passing through Jericho. Jericho, we know, close to the River Jordan, and was the first city defeated by Israel under Joshua's command. 
after they moved into Canaan, if you remember. The city was in ruin after the walls came crushing down. But subsequently, Herod was given rule to Jericho. He oversaw construction of aqueducts, which um, provided irrigation of the surrounding fields. Palaces, temples, and theatres were built. So Jericho was a relatively large town, and it was en route to Jerusalem. It's in Jericho where Jesus meets Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And it was on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem, which is the setting for the parable of the Good Samaritan. Calvary is merely one week away. So let's take a look at the the reading. It's Mark 10, verses 46 to 52. Shall we stand as as we read it? Verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Please be seated. Another reason not to wear glasses is they steam up as well. (laughs) It's not only in Mark's Gospel that we can read about Bartimaeus receiving his sight. In Matthew chapter 20, we can also read the story. Interestingly, the account in Matthew refers to two blind men receiving sight. Although these accounts bring out different elements, they're not in conflict. Both both Gospels are God's word and truth. Mark chooses to focus only on Bartimaeus, whilst the men remain unnamed in Matthew. We can also read the story in Luke 18. Here again, only one unnamed man is referenced, with Luke specifying that after the man was healed, he followed and praised Jesus. And when others saw this, they also praised God. Again, another account bringing out different elements, all adding to the context. It's not typical for Mark to name those He witnessed getting healed by Jesus. Many commentators suggest that Mark perhaps names Bartimaeus because he knows him, or perhaps he's known to his readers at least, although that's not made very clear. What we do know, however, is Bartimaeus 
was son of a man called Timaeo. Bartimaeus' father was also named here. Perhaps he was also known to Mark's readers. Does anyone know? In Aramaic, what does Bar mean? Oh, you're all very good, aren't you? <laughs> yes, in Aramaic, Bar means son of. I'm really impressed that you all got that, guys. That's a... <laughs> So Bartimeo means son of Timaeo. Okay, here's another one. In Aramaic, does anyone know what Timaeo means? <laughs> Not tomato that, though. <laughs> tomato ketchup, yeah. Okay, so I feel a bit happier that you didn't know the answer to this one. Timaeo in Aramaic means honor. So Bartimaeus' name actually meant son of honor. Mark here gives the Aramaic and then translates into Greek for the Gentile readers, son of Timaeus. So with a name like that, it's quite ironic, isn't it, how Bartimaeus' life has panned out. Bartimaeus was not exactly living up to that name, son of honor. Here he was, blind, begging at the roadside, probably not even able to get there without help from others. What must it have been like for Bartimaeus? Can you shut your eyes for me at the moment, just for a while? Keep them shut. You cannot see anything. This is what Bartimaeus would be having to deal with all the time. Now, in the time it's taken for me just to say one or two sentences, some of you will have already opened your eyes or are wanting to because you need to see what is going on. Bartimaeus could not do that. Keeping your eyes shut. Could you imagine now trying to make your way out of the church and heading towards central stores? I wouldn't want you to do that. Not without someone guiding you, of course, and even then I would suggest there would be hazards. Our every day would be very different, wouldn't it, if we could not see. Okay, you can open them. Well done if you managed to keep them shut. Some of you didn't. So blindness was not uncommon. Historians explain that the dust and sand swept up in that area, caused irritation to the eyes at best. But for those less fortunate, it could lead to loss of sight. Despite this, blindness was actually considered a curse from God for sin. We can read in John 9, 1-2, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Bartimaeus then would have been treated with contempt much of the time. Bartimaeus was just not fit. No, this was not an honourable life. Of course, because he was blind, he was not able to provide for himself. Most occupations involved some sort of physical labour. Clearly, if you're crippled or blind, that's a massive disadvantage. 
you were simply not able to work. There being no welfare state, of course there were no benefits to be claimed. Begging was common in most towns. God's law actually commanded that those unfortunate enough to be in Bartimaeus' situation be cared for. In Leviticus 25, it says, If one of your countrymen becomes poor or unable to support himself among you, help him as you would an alien or a temporary resident so he can continue to live among you. It's not clear whether Bartimaeus was benefiting from this command or not. I'm sure some days were better than others. Bartimaeus, it is clear, however, was not able to offer anything to anyone. He was in a desperate state. He needed a miracle. No, this was not an honourable life. And yet, despite Bartimaeus' state, despite his physical condition, despite the fact we find him begging on the roadside, we can learn a great deal from this man. We can take a lot from the way he grasps the opportunity presented to him to meet Jesus. An encounter, as we just read, that radically changes his life. What then can we possibly learn from this blind beggar? I want to focus on three of Bartimaeus' behaviours. To help you remember them, they all begin with F. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them tenuous. The three things I want to focus on that Bartimaeus showed. Firstly, he had faith. Secondly, this is the tenuous one. He was fearless. And that's tenuous because it doesn't mean that Bartimaeus wasn't scared. If you're fearless, actually you're not afraid, are you? Boldness would have been my preferred word, but fearless is an F. Thirdly, he followed Jesus. We'll take a look at each of those in turn and then give some time to application. Firstly then, Bartimaeus showed faith. In this modern age of technology, and as consumers of information on TV, Radio, internet, social media, newspapers. We're coming to terms with the concept of fake news. We have to view material now with a degree of scepticism, as we cannot always be sure that what we're reading or hearing is true. Maybe just exaggerated, just to get the ratings up. News spreads instantly. Despite the absence of social media, Twitter and TV in Jericho, news spread of Jesus and the amazing miracles that he performed. For example, Lazarus, Lazarus had just or had been raised from the dead just down the road in Bethany. Clearly, Bartimaeus had picked up on these reports of Jesus. I expect being blind helped Bartimaeus dwell on who Jesus was and the truths he was hearing. He would have had time during the day to reflect on them. When I asked you to shut your eyes earlier, I expect you were able to focus on the words I was speaking more clearly. Bartimaeus' imagination would not have been limited in the same way than those of us with sight might be. 
Although his blindness meant he couldn't witness firsthand the miracles for himself, he believed in them. For Bartimaeus then, it was not seeing Jesus that produced faith. He heard reports of Jesus and knew Jesus for who he was. Surely this Jesus, just as he had healed others, would be able to heal him. His belief in who Jesus was is evident by the language he uses. He calls out, doesn't he, in 47 and 48, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't shout, help me please, as he would most likely have done when asking people in the street for money. He didn't even immediately ask for his sight, although that's to come. No, Bartimaeus asked Jesus for mercy. You typically ask for mercy of someone in authority. You're asking for compassion, leniency, or forgiveness. But Bartimaeus saw Jesus as more than just an authority. Bartimaeus also addresses Jesus as son of David. This was a term used for the Messiah the prophets prophesied about. Bartimaeus believed Jesus to be the Messiah. Later in the passage, Mark describes Bartimaeus' interaction with Jesus. In original texts, Bartimaeus refers to Jesus as Rabbani. In the New Testament, that term is only used in one other place, and that's when Mary recognizes Christ outside the tomb in John 20. It's, more, it's a more reverent form of rabbi. Bartimaeus then had faith in who Jesus was, but not just that. We see, don't we, that he had an appreciation of what Jesus could do for him. He knew that Jesus would be able to restore his sight. This belief could only have come from the reports he had heard. He could not have witnessed them firsthand. The testimonies of those who were healed by Jesus spread, and ho- oh, how badly Bartimaeus wanted that for himself. And so when Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what is it that I can do for you? Bartimaeus, of course, says, Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus' response, go, your faith has healed you. Christ's power had healed Bartimaeus. But as Jesus said, it was Bartimaeus' faith that made it possible. An analogy that sprang to mind while I was preparing this is the brakes that we have in our cars. In this illustration, Christ's power is the brake system. It's the brake pedal connected to the hydraulics, which in turn connected to the brake pads, which press against the brake discs. When you drive your car, however, you have a knowledge that the braking system is there and what it's for. You also have confidence that when you press the brake pedal, the car is going to slow, usually. The driver's faith enables the action because the driver initiates the pressing of the pedal. I saw a reference this week that read, 
Faith is the hand that grabs the power of his love and work on the cross. Faith is the hand that grabs the power of his love and work on the cross. But then, what about times when we pray for healing and nothing happens? There are plenty of times when I've prayed for healing, either for myself or others, and nothing's happened. Does that mean I didn't have sufficient faith? I've heard some say, I think unhelpfully, that lack of faith is the reason for unanswered prayer. I don't subscribe to that thought. Whilst I accept that it sometimes could be the reason, because Jesus had cause to say, didn't he, to Bartimaeus, that it was his faith that healed him, then it must be also true that a lack of faith could be the reason for unanswered prayer. Matthew twenty-one twenty-two. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. But I know many faithful Christians who pray for healing that does not appear to get answered. And that could be for numerous reasons. It's a Bible study and a sermon in its own right, and we don't have time to go into it now. But unanswered prayer could be a result of things other than the lack of faith, such as, What you're praying for is not in God's will. Maybe you have unconfessed sin, including not having forgiven others. Maybe you're not being in fellowship with the Lord sufficiently, such that your prayer life is non-existent, or you're not spending time in God's word. Maybe you haven't been persistent enough. Maybe it's just not God's timing. Maybe suffering is sometimes part of God's purpose for us. We share in his glory through sharing his suffering. If you're struggling with unanswered prayer, bring it to God. Reflect on what it is you're asking and ask for wisdom and discernment to know what God's will is in the situation. So Bartimaeus had faith in who Jesus was and what he could do for him. Two further things to mention before we think about application. Bartimaeus was not only faithful, but he was also bold. (laughs) I've discovered with age that I'm increasingly more fearful of heights. Anyone else scared of heights? A few. I first noticed this fear about eight years ago. Previously, I thought nothing of heights at all. On the contrary, I'd always wanted to do bungee jumps or anything like that for a bit of an adrenaline rush. I was never allowed. Eight years ago, however, this changed. Lucy and I were at centre parks with the kids. One particular activity with the boys um, they wanted to do was the high ropes. Now, for those not familiar with high ropes, this is where you're geared up with safety harnesses and you're attached to a safety line about 10 metres up in the air. And the idea is that you get to walk between the trees and you have to manoeuvre 
above, over, through different obstacles while you're up there. At the last minute, Sam decided he didn't want to do it. No biggie, I thought. I'll go with Ben, who was about nine at the time. Ben went ahead of me, and we climbed up to the height where the obstacles started. And it was at this point when terror I'd not really felt before kicked in. I was really quite surprised and disappointed in myself (laughs) for feeling so scared, particularly as that fear hadn't been an issue previously. There were points in this exercise where I was quite simply paralysed. Legs shaking, gripping onto that rope that was secured me to the, the safety line. Ben, of course, was happily moving ahead of me with the occasional, come on, Dad, or look how high we are, Dad. (laughs) Ironically, Ben was the reason that I was even up there because I was his dad. I was of the mind that he needed me and that I had to be there for him. It was that strong sense of he needs me that forced me to overcome the fear and make it through the increasingly difficult obstacles. I needed to be there for Ben. I had to be there at all cost for my son. Now, of course, looking back, clearly Ben didn't need me at all. (laughs) I wish I'd known that. (laughs) But the need to be there for Ben gave me the strength to put one foot forward. I'm not sure I would call it boldness, because I'm sure from the ground it looked pathetic. But I had the boldness to overcome personal fear because of that need. I mentioned to Ben yesterday I was going to use that story this morning. Fortunately, he didn't really remember how pathetic his dad was, so I'm pleased to say his perception of me is still somewhat heroic. Bartimaeus, in a similar way, recognized that he had to get time with Jesus. The moment Bartimaeus heard Jesus of Nazareth was close by, he started to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd rebuked him for his shouting and told him to be quiet. He was being irritating, and it was clear they felt Bartimaeus had no right to demand any attention from Jesus. But because of the faith that Bartimaeus had in who Jesus was and what he could do for him, he had to take the opportunity, whatever the cost. Just imagine what opportunity he would have lost had he listened to the crowd. Bartimaeus' boldness was a result of his faith, but also an appreciation of his deep, and urgent need. Bartimaeus, this blind beggar, recognized that his only hope was walking past him. And unless he grasped that opportunity now, that hope would be gone, through a gate in a Jericho wall and gone forever. And his life as a beggar in darkness would continue until he died. Bartimaeus really had nothing to lose. Certainly, he wasn't going to be stopped by a crowd rebuking him. 
this crowd, what did they know? They knew nothing of what he had to endure every day, no appreciation of the darkness and desperation he felt and the misery that the blindness caused. The crowd were very fickle too because the moment Jesus said to them, call him, they changed their tune, changing from rebuking to almost being supportive of Bartimaeus, saying, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. (coughs) What a change in just moments. The crowd simply wanted to see Jesus perform, and they were delighted that Jesus had chosen someone to work with. Bartimaeus could not afford to worry about the crowd. He had such an urgent need that nothing else mattered. He persisted in calling out to Jesus despite the crowd's rebuking. And when the crowd explained Jesus was calling for him, Bartimaeus threw his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. There was a sense of abandon there. A leap made possible because of his faith. Throwing his cloak aside, probably something very precious to him, Any other day, he would have been clinging on to it as he was dependent on it. He just threw that aside because he had faith on what was to come being too important to be hindered by anything. There was urgency here. He leapt up and went to Jesus. It's worth us reflecting at this juncture on Jesus. Jesus, knowing what was going to happen to him, was on a journey that would take him to his death. Any ordinary human would have been preoccupied with that fact. A lot on their mind. Jesus was having to deal with this noisy crowd, no doubt disturbing his reflection on what was to come. Jesus, being Jesus, of course, would have demonstrated perfect patience with this crowd. But through all the hustle and bustle, through all the noise, shouting, distractions with stuff going on in the street, through all of that, he hears the cries of Bartimaeus. It's just like a parent, isn't it? Perhaps at a soft play or a ballpark area where there are hundreds of kids and a constant humdrum of noise. Yet a parent seems to be able to pick out their particular child's cry, calling, uncanny. Jesus clearly tuned in to Bartimaeus' calls for mercy. He heard him and responds. Call him here, Jesus tells the crowd. Interesting, isn't it, that Jesus didn't go to the blind beggar? That surely would have been easier. So why did he get Bartimaeus to come to him, do you think? Some of the commentaries I read suggest that it was maybe to show the crowd that Bartimaeus was really blind. We're not told of the reason, but I like that suggestion. It would have helped demonstrate the miracle he was about to perform was authentic. Mind you, if there were or had been any doubts on authenticity... I'm confident those doubts would have been 
vanished after seeing Bartimaeus' response once he was healed. Jesus knew, of course, what Bartimaeus' need was. And yet he asks him, what is it you want me to do for you? It's the same question that Jesus asks of James and John a few verses earlier, who, because of their spiritual blindness, asked for something out of selfish ambition. What is it you want me to do for you? Even though Jesus knows our need better than we do, he asks what it is you want me to do for you, because he loves hearing from us. As I was preparing this talk, I saw it written down like this. Love delights in knowing, expressing, and fulfilling the beloved's wishes. When Lucy and I managed to find time to go out, on a rare occasion, to go and have a meal together, we are absolutely hopeless at deciding where to go. There's a lot of I don't mind, you decide. To the extent that we typically end up in Prezzo's in time, (laughs) in town, because we run out of time. We've taken too long to decide anything else. But I think one of the reasons for that is that we each want the other to be happy. And we're happy, I know, isn't that nice? (laughs) And we're happy to forego wherever we would choose to go in order that the other would get what they want. Not a perfect example, I know, but you get my point. Jesus wants to hear what our needs are from us, and he delights in meeting them. He encourages us to speak, though he knows. Jesus, having asked Bartimaeus what it is he wants, Bartimaeus says, I want to see. Jesus touches his eyes. There is no other report of unusual things that Jesus does here. No spit, no mud. Simply Jesus touches Bartimaeus' eyes and he says, Go, your faith has healed you. And we're told immediately he received his sight. And and what? It doesn't say Bartimaeus went home and lived happily ever after. No, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. He immediately followed Jesus, and that's the third point I want to quickly mention. Bartimaeus followed. I'm sure there are many reasons for Bartimaeus following Jesus. He wanted to show his gratitude for meeting his needs, for validation of his faith, to bear witness to the miracle Jesus had performed for him. Bartimaeus had been so impacted by Jesus that he wanted more of Jesus, and he knew that following him was the best way of getting Jesus' wisdom, teaching, and witnessing how Jesus lived. Don't forget, Bartimaeus had just received his sight. You could have forgiven him for wanting to go see things. One of the primary reasons this account, I think, is in Mark's gospel, however, is to reveal the nature of discipleship. It contrasts the disciples' self-centeredness with Bartimaeus' abandonment. 
James and John, disciples who'd spent significant time with Jesus, were still spiritually blind. They just did not understand so many things. They did not grasp Jesus' teaching that whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Surely Bartimaeus showed a greater understanding here of what this servant heart means. He had just received his sight, his life radically changed, unconditionally. He could have taken himself off and done whatever he wanted, but he chose to follow Jesus because he knew he owed his new life to him. So what of application then to this morning's message? There's really only one that I will leave with you. Hooray, you say. (laughs) But within it, there are a number of elements for you to reflect on and pray about. The application is simply, we need to ask God to open our eyes. We can draw parallels with Bartimaeus' physical blindness to our spiritual blindness. God, I'm so like my dad. (laughs) (laughs) The question to ask yourself as a Christian in the context of this story is this. On being saved by Jesus, are we now following him down the road Or have we checked out and gone home? As Christians, we too are on a journey to Jerusalem. We too must take up our cross. Jesus calls his followers to imitate him. This is what we call the way of the cross. Jesus, in the preceding passage, explained to his disciples What following him implies becoming a slave to all. We are called, aren't we, to put God first, first and foremost, with all of our heart, our mind and strength, and then to love our neighbour. Doing these things will certainly mean living in self-denial and possibly suffering. If you're not fully on that journey to Jerusalem, it's probably a result of one or more of the following reasons. It's possible that we've developed spiritual cataracts that need removing this morning. Firstly, we don't feel we owe Christ our lives. Perhaps we've never really appreciated the extent of how great our need was. Never have called out in earnest to Jesus like Bartimaeus did in a desperate situation. Never had to be bold or persevere through rebuke or suffering. Perhaps we've treated our salvation too lightly. And we don't have the sense of gratitude that Bartimaeus had. Friends, The effect of grace in our life should draw us into holiness. 
We have been freely pardoned and we ought to give ourselves freely and willingly to Christ's service. Our lives have been redeemed. We'll reflect on that shortly while we take communion. Consider Bartimaeus' response to Jesus and measure yourself against that. We're talking here about eternal salvation that we've been given when we were heading for eternal damnation. Just how much gratitude do we have? Are we truly following Christ? Or maybe we're like James and John and we have selfish ambitions that we're putting above anything else. Those selfish ambitions, brothers, are like the cloak that Bartimaeus threw off as he leapt up to approach Jesus. Those selfish ambitions could be preventing you from receiving fully what Christ wants to give you. Or maybe we simply have never understood what the calling of Christ is. And only now is the Holy Spirit revealing that to you. We are spiritually blind and we need the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us. It's interesting, isn't it, that Christ says to Bartimaeus, go, your faith has healed you, rather than stick around a while. Stay with me. Go is an action. Suggests that Jesus wants us to be active in our response to his calling. Ask God then to open your eyes. Only he can do that. Ask the Holy Spirit to remove spiritual blindness so that we understand what God's calling us to do. That we're so immersed in his grace that we have unlimited boldness and willingness to follow him. If you're not a Christian, then Jesus asks you this morning, what is it I can do for you? Ask God to reveal to you your deep and urgent need. Just as Bartimaeus cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me, I pray that you do the same. Don't miss the opportunity of Jesus walking past you this morning. You do not need to persistently cry like Bartimaeus did. Take the mercy that is readily offered now. Have confidence that Christ will hear your voice. Don't allow yourself to be hindered by the crowd or what the world would tell you. Seek God's truth. If you want to talk more about what it means to be a Christian, come and find Jeff or myself after the service. We'd be delighted to talk to you more in depth about it. In closing then, Call out to Christ. Know that he hears your voice. Know that he desires to be sought in order that he may bestow his grace and blessing on you. Have faith. We don't have to rely on news spreading from town to town about who Christ is and his power. We have God's word. Get into it. And know God's calling. Mark 8, 34-35 Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves 
and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Amen. Let's pray.